Father, we turn now to Mark chapter 16, the end of the wonderful and the God-breathed book that Mark wrote. What a wonderful journey it has been to look at this great, wonderful, profound gospel that Mark wrote concerning Jesus as the suffering servant. Thank you that our Savior lived a perfect life. We thank you that he was obedient to the law. We thank you that he died a perfect substitutionary death. And we thank you that he was buried to really show that he was genuinely dead. And Lord, we triumph in the fact that our Savior bodily, literally rose from the dead, triumphantly and victoriously conquering sin and the devil and the grave. Oh, we pray, O oh God, that you would teach us as we look into the resurrection account in Mark chapter 16. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 16. If you have your Bible and haven't turned there yet, please do so. Mark chapter 16. And the title of the study tonight, He is not here, but He is risen. We, we, we ought to have had our Bible study outside on the lawn, just to sort of keep the tradition of the outside Easter service. It really is true that the resurrection of the Lord changes everything, doesn't it? It literally changes everything. I'm going to read Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. This is the end of the Gospel of Mark. If you're looking at your Bible and you think, well, wait a minute, I've got more words after verse 8. I'm going to deal with that next week. Um, and then we'll look at the Great Commission a little bit as well. But follow with me. Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Here's the word of the Lord. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices. They bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. A father was driving down a road with his five-year-old son. As they were driving together in the car down this road, they were going past a cemetery. And as they were driving by the cemetery, they noticed that there was a large, a huge pile of dirt next to a freshly dug grave 
when the little boy all of a sudden blurted out, Dad, someone got out. (laughs) There really is only one who walked himself out of the tomb. There's only one, only one who by his own divine supernatural power could walk himself out of the grave. And he is Jesus. Next time you drive past a cemetery, think of the one whom the grave could not hold him. Death could not contain him. Jesus is alive. And when we think about the resurrection of our Lord and the resurrection of our Savior, we need to remember this is not just sort of an appendix to the gospel. This isn't sort of like the, the final chapter of the gospel whereby we think, well, we're, we're finally here. It's about time we think about the resurrection. No, the, the resurrection is to the gospel what the sun is to the solar system. Because without it, you have no life. Without it, you have no purpose. Without it, you have no orbit. Without it, you have no order at all. The, the glorious bedrock of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think, is so essential and it is so vital that it gives hope. It gives hope that every Christian at any situation of life can always find hope in our resurrected Lord. Number two, it gives stability. When the world is shaking and everything seems to be crumbling all around, the resurrection gives stability. It it also reminds us that we believe in a gospel of exclusivity. Our Savior alone, He is the only one who was raised from the dead. We also know that the resurrection of Christ gives forth, it gives comfort. Comfort. Uh, Even when you and I go to a funeral... When you and I have lost a loved one, when there are times of great sorrow, you and I know the resurrection of our living Lord tells us the grave is not the end for a true believer. At number five, the resurrection of our Savior always gives assurance. Why? Because the hope that you and I are justified in going to heaven is not found in us, in the life that we give, but it's found in the life of our Savior and His resurrection power. Which then leads us to number six. The resurrection also gives power. Ephesians chapter one tells us that you have all power in your Christian life. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you right now. That's amazing. That's amazing. So power to fight that temptation A power to respond in a godly way in that difficult situation. Power to walk with patience and humility. You have that power by the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And then we also know that the resurrection of our Savior gives a uniqueness. Because as I was talking to a Muslim man yesterday outside in Granite City, Illinois, he has no hope in a living Savior. I said, but I do. And it's not because I'm better. It's because the Bible reveals the only unique true Son of God 
who came and died and rose from the dead. And so the resurrection is the hope that we stand on. It, it's the sun of the Christian life of our whole solar system. This is the very hope of your life and my life. In your outline there, I, I give you some theological points that we derive from the text. And if we had the time, it would be great to go through all of this in detail and show you how we learn about bibliology and angelology and Christology and anthropology. And we could go on and on with all the ologies that we learn in the text here tonight. But you also see in your outline that there is a particular way in which we see that the Trinity, each member of the triune Godhead, is actively at work in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God the Father raised Him up. Jesus raised Himself from the dead. And we read that the Spirit of God raised Christ. Charles Wesley put it well. He actually had a, had a whole volume of hymns that he wrote just on the resurrection of the Lord. Now, one of the lines of one of the hymns is this. The Lord of life is risen indeed. To death delivered in your stead. His rise proclaims your sins are forgiven. And it shows the living way to heaven. He believed it. He knew that. He knew what you and I know that the Bible teaches that the only living way to heaven is through the resurrected Lord. Now, as we end the book of Mark tonight, I want to remind you just sort of in a brief introductory way before we get into the text here, just reminding us where we have been in Mark's fast paced, action packed record. We have seen the authority of Christ. And we have also seen the discipleship that he demands of you and of me. Remember, Mark shows that Jesus is the suffering servant who came as God in order to suffer and to die in the place of sinners. And he took up the cross for you, and he calls you to take up your cross for him and follow him with your life. And you see there the outline that I, I put there, just a reminder of the whole book of Mark of the suffering servant, the, the presentation of the servant and the persecution and the preparation and the passion of the servant. And, and we come today in Mark 16 to the perfection of all of the work of the Lord. If he died and he stayed in the grave, it wouldn't be a perfect work. It would have been a good attempt and a huge failure. But our Savior perfected the work of redemption by His resurrection from the dead. In Acts chapter 1 verse 3, when Luke is beginning that record, I love this verse, Luke said that Jesus presented Himself alive after His suffering by many convincing proofs. What a great line. He presented Himself alive. This is our Savior. He presented Himself alive. So He's alive. And I want to preach from these opening verses from Mark chapter 16, and I want to give you some fortifying features of the resurrection of your Savior. Number one, your Savior's resurrection is historical. Number two, it is supernatural. Number three, it is essential. And then number four, it is testifiable. So let's begin in verses 1 to 3 
as we just kind of walk through the text in an expository way, pulling out the meaning and then applications from the text. Number one, the resurrection of your Savior first is historical. It's historical. Your faith and the resurrection of your Lord is rooted in verifiable history. The one that you worship is God. He really came from heaven. And he, he historically lived as a man. And he historically died on a Roman cross. And he historically was buried in a rich man's tomb. And he literally and historically was raised from the dead. Notice how in these opening verses, Mark shows us the historicity of the resurrection. Notice the three women of the witnesses here in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, three women, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, and then a woman named Salome, they bought spices so that they might come and anoint Jesus. Well, we've already met these women. We met them at the end of chapter 15 in verses 40 and 41 when they were there at the cross beholding their Savior who was dying. And then we saw them last week at the very end of chapter 15, verse 47, when they were there looking at the grave when Nicodemus and Joseph put the body in the tomb. Well, here they are a third time on Sunday morning, the first day of the week at the empty tomb. I love how Mark emphasizes the devotion of these women. They bought spices showing their devotion, their commitment. It must have been expensive to buy and purchase this much spice. And they wanted to anoint a body that had been dead for now going on three days because they loved their Lord. They loved their Lord. These three women were the witnesses. Never forget, Deuteronomy is true. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact is confirmed. Praise God that even with the resurrection of the Son of God, the three women are right there in chapter 16 to verify it. Well, notice the day and time. The day and time we read in verse 2, very early on the first day of the week. That's Sunday. By the way, little footnote, get this. The Christians, Christian church, we gather on Sunday for worship. That's what the early church did in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 20, 1 Corinthians 16. Tells us to worship on the first day of the week as we give. But what's so amazing about that, every time we gather on Sunday, it's like we are a part of a celebration party. Our Savior is alive. We don't meet on Friday. He was crucified. We don't meet on Saturday. He was in the grave. We meet Sunday because we are a resurrected and a living people because our Savior is alive. Think about that when we gather on Sunday. We are meeting to celebrate our resurrected Lord. We might live in a culture of death. And we might live in a world full of violence and war. But when we meet with God's people, we proclaim life. 
because our Savior is alive. Well, very early, and it must have been before the sun was even risen, as the text says in the gospel record, maybe between three, four, five in the morning, the last watch of the night just before sunrise, which I find so interesting. Have you ever been so sorrowful that it's hard to sleep? One commentator said, we need to remember that sorrow often wakes early in the morning. And I think it may have been the way here for these women. They loved their Lord. They loved their Savior. And, and they were awakened early in the morning. And, and it was dark outside. It was hard for them to sleep. They may have had tear-filled eyes. And they're journeying to the tomb. But there's a problem. Look at verse 3. There's a problem. As they are going... Who's going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? What an insurmountable problem. It underscores the truthfulness and the validity of the account. I mean, these women are honest. We're going to go, we want to go see our Lord and anoint him, but who's going to move the stone away? How are we going to do this? Which I think only serves to underscore that your resurrected Savior and His account here in the Scriptures is historical. But not only is it historical, in the outline, it's supernatural. Supernatural. Which we see right here in verses 4 and 5. Notice verse 4. As the women are journeying, they're looking up and they saw the stone had been rolled away. Now, in the English, you and I might say, well, that's kind of cool. The stone is rolled away. In the Greek, we call this a divine passive in Greek grammar. Meaning something happened and implied God did it. The stone was rolled away because this was a God act. This was a God thing. This was something that only God could do. The women are approaching the tomb and they realized... God, God was at work. God did something here. Now, just for a, a minute with you, I want to bring together Matthew and Luke and John and sort of harmonize what happens here. Just to show you the supernatural nature of the event. Because Matthew 28 gives a little bit more detail. There was a severe earthquake that happened early in the morning because an angel sent by the Lord came from heaven. I love this. He rolled away the stone and then he sat on it. I mean, can you just imagine that? How cool would that have been? He rolled away the stone and he sat on it. And then Matthew tells us the angel's appearance was like lightning and the clothing was white as snow. This was such an amazing event that even the Roman guards, they were some pretty tough men, but the Roman guards shook for fear of the angel and they became like dead men. Well, then Luke 24 comes in and Luke 24 adds that there were two men who suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing and here's what the angels did. They reminded the women of what Jesus had said when he was with them. Don't you remember how he told you that he was going to rise from the... Don't you remember? I love that. God sends a messenger. 
not to give new revelation, but to remind you of what he already said. And then John chapter 20 in his resurrection account tells us that there were two angels in white and they were sitting in the tomb in the grave, one where the head was and one where the feet would have been, where the body of Jesus would have been laid. What's so neat about all of this is the angel was sent by God to roll away the stone, not to let Jesus out, but to let you and I in and to understand what happened. A messenger from God. And we read in verse 5 of the Mark text here, they saw one looking like a young man sitting at the right. Well, this was an angel. But he had the appearance of a young man wearing a white robe. It was an astonishing sight. How do we know this was a supernatural event? Look at the end of verse 5. When this happened, my translation has, they were amazed. Do you see that there? They were amazed. It's a Greek word that only Mark uses in the whole New Testament. It's a, it's a compound word. It's a strong word. And it's not just to be amazed. It means to be absolutely dumbfounded because God has done something. To be absolutely struck with amazement and terror because God has worked. To, to be thoroughly alarmed could be translated. To be terrified, it shows that God has done something. And they were terrified. And you know what? You and I are familiar with it, but I bet if we were there, we would have been terrified as well. Well, the resurrection of your Savior, it is historical. Number two, supernatural. But now number three in verse six, never forget, it's essential. The resurrection of Jesus is the very core of our message. It's what gives life to eternal life. It's what gives the hope to Christianity. It's the backbone to our message. It's the grand climax to the whole book. The keystone to the Christian message. This is not a, like a peripheral issue like luxury features on your car. This is the engine that makes the thing work. It's essential. Verse 6. Well, the angel said to the women, don't be amazed. Meaning, don't be utterly terrified at the work of God. Why? You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. Notice the word Jesus signifies that he's the Savior. His name means salvation. Notice the title, the Nazarene, shows that he's the genuinely human one from the city of Nazareth. Notice the angel says that he has been crucified, meaning he is the one who was hanging on a cross just a couple of days ago. And then... One of my favorite verbs in the whole section, he has been raised up. The passive, the divine passive. God worked to raise him up from the dead. Crystal clear from the angel's mouth, God 
was at work to raise him from the dead. He's not here. But, but you can look. See the place where they laid the body? You look for yourself. He's not here. He's alive. Remember, I've mentioned before in biblical narrative, when you're reading narrative accounts, often there is highlighting, there's emphasis when you've got sort of a lot of verbs clustered together. Well, right here in verse 6, you have a lot of verbs that are coming out in this verse. So why is the resurrection so essential? Why is it so foundational to our Christian lives? In your outline, you see right there, I give you ten reasons. And we could spend a whole year going in depth into all of these and probably many, many more. But I want to read them because I want to get to one in particular. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that believers are justified before God. Romans 4.25, Paul seals his whole argument that you are counted righteous before God because your Savior rose from the dead. Number two, the resurrection of Jesus showed that Jesus defeated death. 1 Corinthians 15, where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where? Where Jesus, our Savior, as we were reminded earlier, conquered death. Third, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that believers are united with Christ. Romans chapter 6 tells us that when He was buried, you were buried with Him. But in His resurrection to new life, Christian, you have been raised up to new life together with Him. Wonderful phrases there. Number four, the resurrection of Christ confirms the truth of Scripture. Why? Because the Old Testament promised in Psalm 16 and Isaiah 53 that Jesus would rise, Messiah would rise from the dead and never see decay. Number five, the resurrection of Jesus proves the gospel to be true. Without it, we have no hope, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Number six, the resurrection of Christ proves that Jesus is the Son of God. Romans 1, 4, the Spirit of God testified that He is the Son of God by the resurrection. He really has come from God to earth to save because He rose from the dead, validating that to be true. And number seven, the resurrection of Christ means that God the Father will give His Holy Spirit to believers like Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Number eight, the resurrection of Christ gives Christians a living hope. We read it earlier that you have a living hope which is unfading. It is imperishable and undefiled and reserved in heaven for you. Guaranteed, certified because Jesus rose from the dead. Number nine, the resurrection of Christ means that you will be raised like Him. I would encourage you, maybe in your prayer time, to go to these verses in 1 Corinthians. Because our body was sown perishable, but it'll be raised imperishable. It was sown natural, but it will be raised supernatural and glorified. Never to sin again. What amazing hope we have ahead of us. But number 10, number 10, 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead means that Jesus Christ will come back and judge the world in righteousness. Why? Because he's alive and he's going to come back again one day to judge the living and the dead. Now, I've been giving information. Enough of that for a moment. Because we have to give the exhortation to what that means for you. When the Apostle Paul was preaching on Mars Hill, toward the end of his sermon, he said this, God is now declaring. The Greek word is commanding. Now hear that. God is commanding you, all people everywhere, that you must repent. Why? Why is God commanding people to repent? Because God has established a day when He will judge the world in righteousness through the man whom He has appointed. Somebody says, well, how do I know that? Well, God furnished proof to all by raising the judge from the dead. What is the application? What what should you do with all of this resurrection material? The judge is coming back. And he's alive. And he sees all that is being done. He knows your thought life. He knows your words. He knows your deeds. He knows the motivations. He knows the intentions of your heart. And if you're not reconciled to God today, hear it from God through His Word. He commands you to be reconciled to Him right now. Because God has established a day. I don't know when that day is, but it's coming. God has established a day when He will judge the world, not according, this is going to be a big wake-up call for a lot of people, not according to how people think they are in comparison to others. But God will judge people according to His righteousness. So believe. Believe this. Turn to the Savior. Repent. Forsake the sinful ways and come to God. And be forgiven and reconciled to the living and the true God. Well, back to Mark chapter 16, the the wonderful resurrection of your Savior is historical. It is not only historical, it is number two, supernatural, and number three, essential. But we can't end without this one. Because if it ended here, he would have saved you and God would have taken you to heaven. But he left you here for a purpose. The resurrection of your Savior is testifiable. Testifiable. Why? Verse 7. The angel said to the women, go and tell. I love that. Go and tell. Go and tell. Now, hear this with me for a moment. Friday's darkness and forsakenness on the cross, with Saturday's silence and quietness in the tomb, is now met with Sunday's light and gladness. And you and I have every reason to open our mouth and to lift up the voice and to tell anyone and everyone, Jesus is alive. And the angel said to the women, verse 7, I love these commands, go and tell. 
Go and tell. That's the proclamation. When a person encounters Jesus, guess what? You've got something to share with others. I've never ceased to be amazed at how we love to talk about the things that we like. Food. Right? Things that, that amaze us. Vacations. Places we go. Things we do. And we love to talk. Boy, you got to try this. Boy, you got to go here. Have you been to that place? We talk about these things. Have you met my Savior who's alive? Do, do, do you know Him? Go and tell. Because, because when you meet Jesus and you see the resurrected Lord by faith, you have something to share with others. I bet when you and I are lying on our deathbed and we look back on our life, maybe one of the thoughts that might go through our mind is, Oh Lord, I wish I would have opened my mouth more and spoken more of Christ. I wish I would have proclaimed more the greatness of our living Savior. And, and the angel says in verse 7, go and tell the disciples, oh, and Peter, what a loving message from the Lord. You know that one who denied Jesus three times? The, the one who called down divine curses upon himself? The one who wasn't even there at the cross because he was hiding? Go and tell that one. That I'm alive. What a God of love. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. And there you will see him. Why Galilee? Well that's what Jesus said in earlier Mark 14 verse 28. But Galilee would be a totally fitting place for Jesus to meet the disciples. Because it was a densely populated area. Tons of people in the Galilee region. It was also to fulfill the mission of Mark chapter 1, verse 17, to make them fishers of men and to go to both Jew and Gentile. Certainly the greatest population of both Jews and Greeks was not in Jerusalem, but it was in the Galilee area. If you're going to reach the most people with the message of the resurrected Lord that's going to go far and wide, go to Galilee where the Jews and the Gentiles are. Meet me there. Meet the Savior in Galilee. And by the way, isn't all of this so true? What Jesus said, humiliation does in fact bring exaltation, doesn't it? Remember Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Well, Jesus lived it out right here. He humbled himself and he was exalted. Well, now, verse 8, the ladies, they encounter the angel, the divine message. They see the empty tomb. They hear the news. They hear the command to go and tell. Verse 8, they went out. They flee from the tomb, trembling, and astonishment has gripped them. And they say nothing to anyone. Pause right there. They say nothing to anyone for the time being. According to the other gospel accounts, they can't shut up. They're going to keep talking about Jesus. But right now, as they're running, they're quiet. 
They're quiet. They're saying nothing to anyone because they are afraid or fearful or in awe or trembling. He is risen. Your Savior is alive. There's no hope without it. You know, th- th- this, is, this is counseling hope for all of us. Whatever happens in life, whether it's our own fear of death that could come upon us at times, whether it's persecution or opposition or oppression or martyrdom that might be awaiting us, the hope of the resurrection always can be before us. As we are going to funerals and we encounter people who suffer and, and we, are, we are living in a world just filled with death and sorrow and pain and hopelessness, you and I have hope. And as your body and my body decays, grows older, gets weaker, frailer, one day there is a new body that will be made like His body, that will be given to us. Praise God for the hope that we have ahead of us. So, we'll say it again. He is not here. He has risen. Just like the angel said to the women, go, go and tell. Go and tell. I was reading this week about a British pastor in the 1950s. He had a disease that caused progressive muscular atrophy. And with this disease, his voice eventually completely failed. His legs became completely useless. And as he began to deteriorate physically... Two weeks before he would die was an Easter resurrection morning. It was a cold, crisp morning in England. And on that resurrected morning, he took a pen and he wrote, because he couldn't speak, he took a pen and he wrote down these words. It is terrible to wake up on resurrection morning and have no voice to shout, He is risen. But then he continued. But it would be all the more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout, He is risen. Christian, you and I have a voice. You and I have a voice. Let's go and tell that He is risen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank You for the truth that You have given in Your Word.